Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. If you still have your Bible open to Psalm 27, that's where we're going to be at this morning in uh, in our text. So this uh, this summer, we've been looking the past three messages. We've just been diving into the Book of Psalms and uh, looking at the encouragement that we find in the greatness of God, because that's what the Book of Psalms is really about. It's about the glory and the majesty and the promises of God and the confidence that we can find in them. Because in the dog days of the soul, when we feel like we're dry, when we feel like things are kind of working against us. It's nice to know that we can go to a stream of refreshing. You know, just like a, a, a nice, big, sweet iced tea on a, on a hot summer day or lemonade or something like that or diving into a pool just brings you refreshment. Diving into the word of God and diving into our creator and drawing close to him is what's designed to bring us refreshment and what's designed to bring us kind of like a, a, a restoration when things seem to be weak. Now, before we dive in this morning, I want to apologize to those on our Facebook stream. It, it cut out a little bit uh, there for a little while, so uh, we welcome you back and uh, hopefully you stuck with us there, but uh, we're glad that you're, that you're tuning in this morning um, as well. But we're in Psalm 27. We read the text already this morning and we're going to kind of go verse by verse through that. In, uh, in the sermon this morning. Um, uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, you have had a chance to, um, uh, to kind of ponder and think over Psalm 1 and Psalm 19, which are the two psalms that we've looked at uh, in the past couple of weeks. Psalm 1 telling us that happy is the person who, who kind of plants themselves in God, in rather than planting ourselves in other shallow, uh, shallow soil where we can be nourished by him. And then last week we looked at diving headlong and immersing ourselves uh, into the word of God, how much we need how much we need his word. But in the dog days of the soul, we've said that we find refreshing, we find relief, we find encouragement in the greatness of our creator God, who is also our redeemer, our life giver, our life sustainer, and also the one who gives us eternal life as well, when we don't deserve it at all. None of us deserve the blessings and the goodness that God has given us, yet he is good. And that's why, we, that's why we worship him today. So in the book of Psalms, we see this uh, in chapter 27, kind of the overall, I guess, I guess the overall temperature of the psalm is one of an awe of God. Uh, you, can, you can probably look at that and maybe say, well, some other things jump out at me as well. But as I was studying and preparing this message, what kind of jumps out at me? And for more of him, like it's almost like David just can't get enough of God. And we see at the very end of it is because he is good. And even when it seems like God is far away, what David wants to do is he just wants to wait for the Lord. So let me ask you a question this morning as we open up. What is it that gives you a sense of awe and wonder? What are some things in your life that you've experienced that just kind of was moments that just kind of took your breath away, that just kind of made you realize, man, I'm just a, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just a little thing here and God is big and he's in control. There are some things that take your breath away. I remember one of the things that took my breath away is at Disney World. Now you say, come on, man, at Disney World it took your breath away? Yeah, uh, not a ride or anything, but you know, if you've ever been to Disney World, you spend all day in the hot sun. And they got these t-shirts now that they say, you know, like the most expensive day ever. And that's exactly true, right? It's exactly true. But, and you see these dads walking around with like the t-shirt on and their pockets are just empty. You know, they got them hanging out. Like I got nothing left, quit asking. But at the end of the day, after all of this, 
after $500 hamburgers and, 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 and all that stuff, at the end of the day, they have this beautiful parade at the end. And you stand at the castle, and they light up the castle, and they do fireworks, and they play all this music and all this stuff. And I'll tell you what, it is an awe-inspiring moment. I looked at my kids the last time we were at Disney a couple years ago, and we had been hot and hangry and mad, and we'd been, you know, I know it's hard to believe that a pastor's family would do this stuff, you know, but we did. We had been nitpicking each other. The heat had been getting to us. We'd gotten hungry. Our feet were tired, all this stuff. You know, when you got, when you got grown kids, not grown, but, you know, when you got able-bodied kids saying, hey, could we just rent, like, a, a stroller so that we don't have to walk anymore? That's wrong, man. That's wrong. But anyway, I look over, and my kids are in tears, they're crying, and I look over, and one of my daughters has just, grabbed, has just grabbed my wife, and she's hugging her, and she's in tears, and we're like, what's wrong with her? Because she doesn't normally do this, and we're like, she's just, I just, it's just such a beautiful moment. I just, you know, I just, I just, I love it. I don't ever want to leave, and I'm thinking, no, we can't afford to stay another second. Get in the car. We go in, right? Those awe-inspiring moments. We have ways of genera- generating those awe-inspiring moments, but the thing about our God is he doesn't have to put on a show. He is the show. He is a continual show of awesomeness. And we are designed, we have been created by God to desire and to crave being awestruck in moments in our lives. We are, we are designed as beings who crave awe. We crave moments when we are broken from the, from the norm and from the, just the mundane, otherwise life gets boring. And God has said, here, I'm going to give you a source of all, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just look up. Look up from all the junk. Look up from all the stuff. Look up and find me and find your sense of awe. What recalibrates you, what refreshes you, what regenerates your soul is me. There's, a, there's an old song that says, all that my soul longs for is you, Lord Jesus. And God has created us with that thirst. God has created us with that desire and that craving whether we recognize it or not. And there are some people today who have never come to that well and they do not know of the goodness of God. You sitting here today or watching watching on Facebook, maybe you've come to that well before but you've wandered away from it. And today I hope that the message just kind of says come back to the well. Take a draw from the well. In the dog days of the spirit and in the dog days of soul, come back to the well and draw from it. Grab your sense of awe because let me say this, in the face of, of an awe of God, all of the fearful things of this earth just kind of melt away and they pale in comparison to the awesomeness of our God. See, the truth is that God is always awesome. He doesn't ebb and flow in his awesomeness and in his power. And you may be saying, well, you know what? You, don't, you may not have been through the things that I've been through in my life, Pastor. You don't know some of the things that I've gone through. And there were times when I know that God ceased to be awesome. God ceased to be powerful. Because if he had been powerful, this wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have gotten that report at the doctor's office that I got. Or I wouldn't have lost my husband. Or my child wouldn't have gone astray. Or the injustices that we see going on in our world around us wouldn't be taking place if God was as awesome as you're saying he is. Listen, the truth is that God is awesome. It doesn't, the problems that we face in our fallen and broken world do not affect the fact that our holy and just and righteous God is awesome all the time. The challenge that we have in that truth is that sometimes we don't take a view of that awesomeness enough that we don't lose, that we lose our sense of awe for him. See, when we talk about the awe of God, and if you're struggling with a sense of awe and wonder for God, it's not God who's not awesome. 
It's us who've wandered away from that sense of awe and wonder for God. See, we, we, we lose our awe for different reasons. Maybe it's because we've chosen to be too in awe of something else. Something else has gained our attention and we become more impressed by that of a far lesser thing. Something that's shiny, but eventually will pale away. Maybe we've fixed our eyes on, on this earthly plane and the things that are going on all, all around us and we've neglected the promises of God and the promises that he's given us, thinking, well, for all this stuff that's going on, there's no way God can be as good as the word says he is because if he was good, this wouldn't be happening. Or we lose our sense of awe because we've chosen to be more in awe of ourselves rather than the one who created us rather than the one that gave us life and the one who restores that life to us and wants to sustain our life for all of eternity. And all of that is basically, when you're too in awe of yourself, when you're more in awe of yourself than you are in awe of God, that's just a simple definition of pride. And you know what? Pride is something that we have to deal with. Pride will stand in the way of our true worship of the Lord. I love what Dr. David Platt said. He says, God and the Bible, uh, and God in the Bible and the, the Bible that is God's word are a, both a clear affront to all of our human pride because it declares everything in the universe and everything in our lives revolve around God. Your life does not revolve around you. Now don't get mad at me. I didn't say that David Platt did, but I agree with it. Your life doesn't revolve around you. I'm gonna let that sit for just a minute. All this stuff swirling in motion is not swirling around Derek. And it's not swirling around you. It is swirling, however, around God. God spun everything into motion. Everything exists, the Bible says, for the glory of the Lord. The heavens declare the glory of the, of the Lord and his handiwork. Everything we see in creation, those things that we see, express the beauty and the glory and the majesty and the creative power of God. You are a masterpiece of God. But because we're masterpieces, it doesn't mean that we're the ones that receive the glory. No, the master receives the glory from its masterpiece. He's designed it this way for our good. It may be hard for us to realize in, a, in an entitled kind of in an entitled kind of society and in, in a generation where we, it's all about us and self-love and, and all of that stuff. He's created it not about us, for our good. Because what am I supposed to do with the world revolving around me and all of a sudden I find out the world doesn't work the way I expect it to? It's gonna to lead to depression, it's gonna to lead to frustration, it's gonna to lead to all kinds of things. But if I can look at a God who's in control and know that he loves me and gave his life for me, not to make the fallenness and the brokenness of this world immediately go away, but to redeem me from it and to give me a future and a hope, that's a God I can worship. Uh, you see, Psalms is a very interesting book. Think about how weird this relationship is that we have with God. Psalms is like a really interesting book. Right here in the Old Testament sits this book of 150 different poems, right? I mean, if, 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 if the books of wisdom are a solar system, you know, Proverbs and, and Psalms and Song of Solomon, <laughs> the Psalms, is, Psalms is like the big sun that everything else revolves around. You know, it's got the biggest chapter in the Bible and everything like that. Here, let, me, let me just kind of give you an understanding of, of kind of how God has designed all this in the book of Psalms. Imagine this. My, my wife is sitting right over here. And I'm going to pick on you for just a minute, okay? Actually, I'm going to flirt with you a little bit. Is that all right? Imagine, I, imagine when Stacy and I got together. We first got married. And my wedding gift to her was I gave her this big, huge book. And I laid it down and I said, babe, these are a book of poems that I have written from my heart to you. 
And these poems are all about me. They're all about my greatness, my goodness. And I just want to give you these poems as a gift of my love to you. <laughs> you, you follow me with this? There's 150 of them. And in one of the poems, I got a little carried away and I wrote 176 lines. And they're all about how great my advice and my leadership is going to be for your life. They're all about it. It's going to be so good for you. Here's, here's what we're going to do. I just want you to read these to me every day. And it's going to be so good for you. Now, how, how, long do you think, how, how long do you think she's going to keep that gift in her hands? But you know what? This is the way God has designed the book of Psalms for us. It's a book of poems about his greatness from every angle. And we get in them, we find out how good they really are for us how good they really are for our soul and for our spirit. And this is the what God has given us and it's the way he's wired us to find our greatest pleasure in worshiping and in glorifying and in loving and declaring him and proclaiming him to all the world. And we will never properly glorify him the way we should if we do not have a sense of awe and wonder of the one that we worship. I think the reason that sometimes we find ourselves in the dog days of the soul, and I'm not saying this is the only reason, but some of the times, the reason that we go in through these dry seasons in our soul is because we've just lost our sense of all for God. The reason that he feels distance or we feel dry or in a spiritual drought is because we've just lost our sense of awe. And what that means is we've just stopped looking at him because you can't help but look at him and get a clear view of him and not be struck with a sense of awe. So maybe the better question is not what inspires our awe, but when was the last time that you were awestruck by this awesome God. See, the, the psalm that we, that we read this morning in Psalm 27 is actually a poem that's written by David. And it's, what's ironic is it's written at a time when he should not have been in awe of God. It should have been at a time in his life where the circumstances that had kind of trickled down in his life would not have put you or me in a place where we said God is good all the time. Because David is writing this from a ditch or a cave somewhere. He is on the run as Israel's most wanted. And you know what David did to earn that title? You know what David did to have the king after him? He didn't do anything. He was minding his own business one day as a boy out in a field somewhere when all of a sudden the prophet Samuel comes walking through the field and he grabs him and he says, son, God has chosen you to be the next king of Israel. He's about 12 years old at this point. He's the youngest of Jesse's kids. And so Samuel plucks him up out of the shepherd's field and he, and he anoints him as the king. And the next thing you know, David is told to go to the battlefield and all of a sudden, he comes up and he sees this big giant there and he says, man, who's gonna fight this guy? And everybody else is shaking in their boots. So David, this 12-year-old kid who's been anointed as the king of Israel, who's trusting God in his promises, says, hey, I'll fight him. Now, now, now let, me, let me get, understand this about David, though. David's not just a little shepherd boy. David is a shepherd boy who killed bears and lions with his own bare hands. So he's a 12-year-old dude, but I mean, imagine this 12-year-old dude who's just like ripped out completely. No, I'm, I'm just saying God delivered him. But David walks into the king's court and he says, I will slay this giant for you because the power of God will be upon me. And it won't be me who slays it, it will be God. Because God kept me alive with the lion. God kept me alive with the bear. And I have this sense of awe and wonder and respect and faith in my God. Well, that happens. And then all of a sudden, Imagine that when you kill the giant that everybody's afraid of in your country, you all of a sudden become, start to trend on Twitter. You're famous. And then there were songs that were written about David and Saul. Saul's a great warrior. He's killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. 
Now you're Saul and you're the king and all of a sudden you've been told by God, look man, you have not been the king that I wanted you to be, so I'm gonna end your family line and I'm gonna make it right with David. Saul gets a little jealous. So David is called into Saul's court and David is also on top of being a lion tamer and a, and a bear fighter and a giant killer, he's also a really good musician and he plays the harp really well. And so, and so Saul, racked with anxiety and anger and jealousy, says, will you play the harp for me so I can go to sleep? And instead of going to sleep, Saul, in a moment of rage, picks up a javelin and throws it at David. And David ducks and he runs out of the room and he just keeps on running. And at that point, Saul says, he calls all of his special forces from, from Israel's army, which is the most feared, one of the most feared armies in the world at this point, and says, I want you to find David. Do whatever it takes. It's like that moment from The Fugitive when Tommy Lee Jones said, leave no stone unturned and all that stuff. He says, I want you to find David. And so David goes on the run. And that's where we see this psalm that is written. At a moment when David is probably thinking, God, you've anointed me as the next king, why am I on the run? Instead of that, instead of questioning God's goodness and questioning God's plan, David is confident and he is in a sense of awe of God and wonder of God still. Why? Because he held on to four specific truths about God that recalibrated his awe. And that's what we're gonna look at this morning. We're gonna look at this force truths about God that recalibrate and refocus our sense of awe on God no matter what situation we may be in. Number one, his salvation inspires awe and wonder in us. His salvation inspires awe and wonder in us. How awe-inspiring and how miraculous and how much does it not make sense that a holy and righteous, and when we say holy and righteous, what we mean is there is no sin in God, there is no sin that's allowed around God, God cannot be a party to sin, that a holy and righteous God that is impeccable in his righteousness would choose to offer grace to us who are nothing but sin. That's our nature, that's what we do. That's what we are wired in our brokenness to do. How awesome is that? I think for the, for the church, especially the church in America in many ways, I think we've just gotten used to the goodness of God. God has been so good to us that we just kinda come to the point where we're just entitled and be like, yeah, why not, man? Because look at me. Look how awesome I really am. God has blessed me because I've done something to be blessed. God blesses us because he is good, not because we are. His salvation inspires me. When we come face to face with the true horror of our sins, we then begin to understand what a miracle God's grace really is. You see, it's a salvation that inspires awe because it's a salvation that lights up the darkness that's around us. In verse number one, he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Who should I fear? As a kid, were you ever, were you ever afraid of the dark? Some of you may be saying, I'm an adult and I'm still afraid of the dark. Remember those night lights that you'd plug into the wall? There's something about being in the dark and not knowing where you're stepping that makes you afraid, right? Because you don't know what's around you. When I was a kid, I was terrified that tarantulas were crawling around my room all the time. And so instead of getting me a nightlight, what did my parents do? They got me a toy machine gun. If you think there's a bug there, blast it. So at 4 a.m., parents are sleeping well, all of a sudden, instead of getting me a nightlight where I can see that there's no tarantulas on the floor, they gave me a gun to shoot all the imaginary tarantulas and then they're mad at me for waking them up. God knows that we're walking in darkness of our sin. And what does he do? He doesn't give us a toy machine gun to think that we can be protected by. He gives us the light that shows us what's really around. And when we see things in the light of God, fear is dispelled. 
Salvation is of God. He is my light, and he is the light that brings light to my darkness. Here's David out in the middle of the night, holed up in some cave or in some ditch, and walking all around him are the best special ops forces the world could muster at that time. Walking around. And he's not afraid. What does he say? The Lord is my light and my salvation. He doesn't know who's around him, what could befall him. And what does he say? The Lord is my light and my salvation. What he's saying is I'm not scared because God's got my back. Because I've been anointed as the next king of Israel and God doesn't lie. He's called me as king. I don't, if I don't live to get that crown, then, I have, then God has way more to lose than I do. And here's the thing we have to realize as the church of Jesus Christ. If God doesn't make good on his promises, he stands to lose way more than we do. So God's gonna make good on his promises. It's a matter of his perfect time. The light that pierced the darkness of David's situation was the salvation that he knew in him. See, his anointing as king, even though he had not been coronated as king yet, is kind of a picture of what our salvation really looks like. When we are saved, we are anointed by the grace of God as his children. We have not seen the full measure of our salvation because we haven't been brought into the courts of God and given our crown of righteousness and all of those things in heaven. But we know that one day the fullness of our salvation will come, but it doesn't mean that right now we cannot sit in the fullness of the confidence of our salvation in him. That's a good word, man. That wasn't in my notes. That's good. Because there's no darkness that can overwhelm our God. And it's a, it's a salvation not only that lights our darkness, but it's a salvation that overcomes the enemy who encamps all around us. And the enemy is around. The enemy is everywhere, the Bible says. When evildoers, verse number two says, came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies, they just stumbled and fell. That word devour there, and I understand the language that David used, the poet, he uses this language, devour. It gives us an image of this wild animal, kind of like National Geographic, right? Why do, they, why do they label National Geographic as kids shows anyway? Watch the hyena as he stalks his prey, and there's this cute little, you know, you know whatever, you know, little chinchilla, or what, I don't know, hyenas and chinchillas, do they even live in the same biome? I'm not sure watches, he stalks his prey, and you're watching, and you're like, oh, that cute little chinchilla, and then all of a sudden, bam, this hyena is like ripping it apart. Oh, it's kids programming, that's wonderful. But David uses this language. He says, though my enemies seek to devour me, they stumbled and fell. So picture this, David is sitting out there, and they're all wandering around looking for him, and he says, they've encamped around me, they've compassed me all around, meaning I have no plan of escape, I have no way of escape, I'm totally surrounded, I'm totally at the mercy of my enemy, but God. But because of God, they stumbled and they fell, just like Daniel in the lion's den. I'm thrown in the den of hungry lions, and what does God do? He shuts their mouths, and he stays, and he uses lions that would eat him as a pillow that night. This is our God. This is the goodness of our God. This is the security of our salvation in him. And it's a security that never runs dry. Salvation that overcomes the enemy. I love what Romans chapter eight says. What are we to say to all of these things about God? If our God is for us, who can be against us? Through salvation, the enemy is defeated and Jesus won the victory when he rose from the grave. Salvation that also gives me protection in verse number three. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though war breaks out against me, I will still be confident and confident in my God. Not confident in myself. Confident in my God. This language makes it seem like David is all alone. When he ran out of the palace, 
he left on his own. He didn't have like people around him. Later on, some people would join his forces, but right now, he's by himself. And he feels like there's an entire war that is raging against him. There's not one person that's on his side at this point. And in verses nine and 10, here's what we see. He says, you've been my helper, O Lord. Do not leave me, do not abandon me, because God of my salvation, even if my father and my mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. The Lord cares for me. This is why later on in the New Testament, Jesus could say, unless you leave your father and mother, you cannot be a follower of me. What it's saying is, there will be something that will cause even the closest people to you to give up on you. Everyone has their limits, but my love for you has no limit. I'll never give up. This is why God is so awesome for us, to us. And David is saying and reiterating this. He says, even though I'm alone, if I'm with you, I'm in the majority and I'm on the winning side. And that's why he has confidence. In those dog days of the soul that may feel like you're all alone, like you've got nowhere to turn, understand that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who created you and crafted you and placed you in the moment that you're in, he's with you. He never leaves you, he never forsakes you. And his promises remain true. And that's important for us to remember at a time like we're in today, at a moment that we're in in history, when we've got pandemics, murder hornets, all kinds of stuff going on. We're in an election year where everybody's fighting with each other and people are honestly just fearful about the direction that our country is gonna go. Let me just say this with the authority of God's word. The person who occupies the Oval Office every four or eight years may change, but the throne of God has been occupied by one person for all of eternity. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, he's the one that our main allegiance goes to, and he's the one that we can rest assured in his promises. It's a salvation, not only that lights our darkness, not only that is victory over our enemies, but what's beautiful about this salvation is it's a personal thing. It's personal. I love what he says in verse number one again. The Lord is, and if you mark in your Bible, circle that word, my. The Lord is my light and my salvation. That means he's mine. I own him. He's, he's mine. He's not just over a mass of people, which he is, but he's mine just as if I was his only one. That's how much and how infinitely God loves us and how infinitely he watches us and how much attention he pays to us. The Bible says not one, ha not one hair can fall from our head that he doesn't already know the number of it. Not one tear falls from our eyes that he doesn't catch them in a bottle. Come on, man. How good is God? How sure are his promises? He is my light and my salvation. David never lost his sense of awe in God because he had more than just a knowledge of God. He had a personal experience with him. And that's a challenge for us today. When it comes to your relationship with God, is your relationship just based off of a bunch of knowledge that you've amassed about him? Bible studies that you've completed, Sunday school classes you've attended, sermons you've listened to, podcasts you've saved on the internet? Or is it based on personal experience with God? Because there's a lot of people who know a lot about God, but they're still 18 inches from salvation. Because knowing about God up here doesn't do anything if he's not in here. I'm not gonna stand before God one day and he says, why should I let you into heaven? And he say, well, you know what? I know the Bible frontwards and backwards. I know it in Greek and Hebrew and all the original languages. I've gone to every Bible study you can imagine. I read the entire 
library that Lifeway bookstores offered before they closed down. I know about you. What he's going to say is, but do you know me? Do you know my son? What experience do you have with me? You see, it's, it's, it's kind of like knowing all about a famous person, but never having a personal experience with them. All you do is know about them. This is why Jesus said in, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, when all these religious workers are going to stand before him, he says, didn't we do all these wonderful things in your name? And he says, depart from me because I never knew you. Why? Because knowing about God doesn't mean that you know him and are known by him. This is why that salvation gives a confidence because when you are saved, when you are really saved and you are really in the grip of grace, his promises become a little bit deeper and beefier and they have more teeth and they have more things to grip onto. And you're not just gripping onto his promises, you're gripped by him. But just knowing about God, there's a lot of room for doubt. It's a salvation that is personal. Knowledge won't help you keep your awe of God. A personal experience will. Let me explain this through David's life. It's like when David was standing before Saul and he was trying to convince Saul, let me stand and let me fight Goliath. He said, I will go out because the Lord is not gonna stand for this and the Lord will deliver me today. He will deliver the entire nation today. I have confidence in this. And Saul, who's the king of Israel, he's God's man for the nation he says, how can you be so confident of this? And David says, it's because when I was a shepherd boy out in the fields and I was protecting those sheep of my father, bears and lions would come my way and I had to stand and defend, which is, by the way, a ministry of the shepherd. And who's our great shepherd? Jesus Christ. He said, I would have to stand and defend them or, my entire, or the entire sheep would be destroyed. And he said, and I stood up and I fought them and I had no power on my own, Saul. It came from God. He delivered me from the paw of the bear. He delivered me from the mouth of the lion. And I have no doubt that he will deliver me here. Why? Because I have seen it. I have experienced it myself. And let me tell you something. When you experience the goodness of God, it gives you confidence to press on in awe and in faith into the next battle. It's a personal salvation. And so that's the thing. You have to have personal salvation it can't be something that you inherit. Oh yeah, I know about God because my grandmother told me about him. I know about salvation because my parents were Christians. You can know a lot about Jesus. You can know a lot about God, but you have to know him through personal experience. I'll just by the way, if you're looking at the outline and thinking, oh my goodness, we got all these points to go, we're gonna just do a part two of this, okay? So just, just calm down. You'll still get to lunch in time. Don't worry about it. Do you have a personal experience that inspires an awe of God? When was the last time that God moved in such a way or you found yourself in a place where you had to fall completely on God and say, God, I got nothing. It's gonna have to be you. And when he came through and delivered you or provided an answer, and it wasn't an answer, maybe it wasn't even an answer you wanted, but he still provided it. That's the personal experience that we find. That's the personal experience that generates an awe in him. Why? Because when we experience God, we come into what the second thing is David talks about. When we have personal experiences with God, we become mindful of his presence. His presence commands an awe about God. His presence commands a sense of awe about him. It's a presence that whether we long for it our souls do. 
And you may say, when I look around today and I see the world that we're in, it doesn't look like people are necessarily longing for the presence of God. Well, let's take our eyes off of everybody else for a second. Let's just put them on ourselves because that's where revival really starts. When was the last time you really basked in the presence of God? I mean, really got into the presence of the Lord. And, 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 and knowing about his presence made all of the other things that were around go away because that's what's going on with David here. Here's David, as he says, in verse number three, he is encamped around. And here's what he says in verse number four. I've asked one thing from the Lord. He probably hears footsteps behind him as he's hiding. I've asked one thing from the Lord, and this is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That one thing in the original language means a first desire, it's a top priority. More than anything else in my life, what I desire is God's presence. What I desire is to be right smack dab in the presence of God. And the beauty of the New Testament age is that because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us and dwelling inside of us as his children, we are always in his presence. Always. He says, one thing I desire, my top priority above anything else, more than I want anything else, I want God. And I want to dwell. And in the original language, it means I want to sit down and I want to stay at rest and find my rest in the presence of God. If you go back to Psalm 1, which we were in a couple of weeks ago, remember what it says? Blessed is the man that doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful, doesn't rest in the ways of the wicked. Now we see what David says. Now we see David saying, I want to sit and I want to dwell and I want to find my rest in the presence of God like a child running to dad. There's this video I saw right before I went to bed last night on Twitter. It's of this dad that he drives a, I guess he drives a tractor trailer. He pulls up with his semi into the front yard and there's this little boy and he's outside. He's got his little, he's got a little cap on his head and he's got nothing but a cap and a diaper on. And he sees that truck pull up and he starts running. About halfway down, he throws that hat off and he's just running. He runs into his dad's arms and he goes, why? Because in the presence of, of dad, he knows there's safety, he knows there's security, he knows there's peace, he knows there's welcome. It's just like us. In the presence of God, we find his awesome power and his nature. It's a presence that our souls long for. And what I also find it interesting is that in this moment, when David should have probably said, God, I just want deliverance, I just want you to get me up out of here, like send, send like a, a rescue copter or something like that and just pull me out of this mess. What does he say? More than that, I just want to be in your presence. That's true faith, isn't it? It's a presence that our souls long for and it's also a presence that our souls can take refuge in. It says in verse number five, for he'll conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. Never forget that God is not only good, he's not only wonderful, he's not only protective, but he's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful, and he's omnipresent, which means he's big, he's everywhere. And his omnipresence is based upon the fact that he is so big that he is everywhere at the same time. God is huge. And his omnipotence and his omnipresence go hand in hand. The reason that he can be all-powerful is because he's all-present which means he sees what you're going through. He sees what's taking place. 
He hasn't turned his back. He's not out of the know of it. He sees what's going on and he is working his plan. And the Bible says, by the way, my plans are to prosper you. My plans are not to fail you, but to come through for you in the glory of my name in the proper time. Trust me. A presence that we take refuge in. He's so big that you cannot help but hide behind him. David realizes this. He says, God's gonna hide me. He says, even if they're all around me, he's gonna hide me because I've been chosen by him, because I'm his king. He has plans with me and his plans are what I want and his plans are what I trust. It's also a presence that ensures victory. In the presence of God, defeat is not part of the category or is not part of the vocabulary, I apologize. It's a presence that ensures victory. Look at verse number six. He says, my head will be high above my enemies around me. This does not mean that my enemies are gonna capture me and have my head. It means that the Lord, as the Bible says elsewhere, is the lifter up of my head. He will make sure that I stand head and shoulders above my enemies in his time. I know that in him, I can be down in a hole in a cave somewhere hiding from everybody, one man against the world, and I'm still just as sure for victory as if I was the one who had all the forces on my side. It's a presence that ensures victory. I love this. In the presence of the Lord, there is no room for the enemy to win. Get that. In the presence of an omnipotent an omniscient, an omnipresent God, there is no room for the enemy to win. And as we close out with this one, and we will finish points two and, or points three and four next Sunday, which means everybody in here gets to come back next week and finish this up. See how I did that? It's a presence that is always attentive. This is where that great and majestic and fearful God becomes Abba, the dad. It's a presence that is always attentive. Because he is present, he always knows what's going on. Lord, hear my voice, verse number seven says, when I call, be gracious to me and answer me. And I love what Psalm chapter eight, verse number four says. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you would visit him? Who is man? Who is he? What are we really worth in the grand scheme of things? When you think about the expanse of the universe and the cosmos, when you think about all those things, who is man that God would care so much about us? When you've got black holes and stars that are compressing and blowing up and all of those things happening all the time out there in the universe, one little planet in the middle of millions of them in the middle of infinitesimal numbers of galaxies and universes, God looks at man. And in the midst of all of that, he sees you. Not just mankind, but he sees you. He drills down through the universe to the galaxy, to the solar system, to planet Earth, to the, Eastern, or to the Western Hemisphere, to the United States of America, to Kentucky, to Lexington, to 160 Dennis Drive, to the one chair that you're sitting in right now or to the place that you're sitting at watching this right now. He drills down into all of that and he cares about you more than anybody else can care for you. With all of that other stuff going on, 
That's how attentive he is. That's how present he is. <laughs> David, one guy, one shepherd out in a field, scooped up by God and said, I'm gonna make you the king. That's the beauty of God's grace. All of us, who we are, our lives, insignificant as they may seem. This is what recalibrates my sense of awe for God a lot of times. I like to look at the heavens and the stars. The other thing I do, it doesn't happen a lot because I don't live close to it, but when I'm on vacation at the beach, I like to just go ahead and sit out on the beach when nobody else is around and just look at that beautiful blue horizon and think about the fact that God could make something that big and that deep. And it's just a drop in the bucket to everything else that he's in control of and running. It's a presence that is always attentive. And it was so attentive that back when he created all of this to have fellowship with us and Adam and Eve broke that fellowship with sin, it's so attentive and he wanted that fellowship restored so much for his glory and for our good that he sent his one and only son so that that fellowship could be restored even at the cost of the life of his son so that fellowship could be restored. That's the goodness of God. That's the light of salvation that we talked about. That's the presence of God. And so when we look around at the world around us and we're wondering, where is God? Where do I see evidence of God in all of this? All you have to do is look at yourself. The evidence of God is right there in you, that he loved you, he created you, he's giving you the breath to breathe, and he's also made grace available to you to be your savior and to restore your life. So as we close out this message this morning, I ask you if you would go into an attitude of prayer as we bow your head and, and close your eyes. I just wanna ask you two questions this morning. And I'm telling you, man, please make sure that you are here for the conclusion of this because if you thought the first two, and I'm telling you, God has spoken this morning. God has spoken this morning. There are times when I preach that I, there's not one thing in my notes that, that, I, did, that, I, that I miss, but... <laughs> God spoke this morning. There's very little of what I said today that was actually in the notes. God took over. God took over, and I'm thankful for him for that. But our God is awesome, and he deserves our awe and wonder, and the reason we don't have it many times is because we are looking at other things. So the question this morning is, what is it that you're looking at? What is it that you're struck by awe and wonder? And awe is not always a good thing. You may be struck by the awe of fear, you see what's going on or you've got, you've got things ahead of you, a doctor's appointment or an uncertainty of tomorrow and you're struck by awe of that. Understand that you are held in the hand by a God who is way more awesome than the awe of that fear. Trust him and he's not gonna leave you. He's not gonna forsake you. His presence is always sure, always. The question this morning for us is, do you trust him? Is there enough awe in God for you to trust in him? That in the middle of all of the things that he's got going on, running the universe, he cares about you. Knows the number of hairs on your head. Knows your fears, knows your heart. Knows what's coming tomorrow. And he's got you. But you have to trust him. Will you trust him? If you're here this morning or you're watching and you don't know Christ as your savior, you're still wandering around in darkness without that light, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Put your faith and trust in him.
He is good. He is the key. He always has been and he always will be. Trust him. Bow at his feet and receive salvation, knowing that we wander away from him in sin, but he has given us a, a chance to be forgiven, to be saved, and to be restored. If you need to know about more about salvation, if you're watching us and you need to know more about that, reach out to us through our website or by calling us or whatever. If you're here this morning, as we get ready to worship him a little bit more, we're going to open the altar. And if you need to pray with somebody or you have questions about salvation, you have questions about how to be a Christian, get those questions answered today before you leave. God of the universe, we ask you this morning that you would just reach down into this place and into our hearts, minister to us and speak to us. If there is anything within us that we need to give to you, if there's any faith that we are lacking, give us the courage to trust you and the confidence to look at you, to look back on your blessings and goodness and encourage us to move forward in you. Move in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. come to the conclusion of this week's message, we pray that it has ministered to you and challenged you from the Word of God. We would love to hear from you. If you would like to connect with us, you can go to www.gracewaylex.org, click on Contact Us, and we would love to have a discussion with you about your faith. Thank you. We'll talk to you again next week.